0: At the pharisees and they are us shalom thank you for joining us for the sunday sermon of october 25th 2020 from christ church jerusalem the severe critique that jesus unleashes on the pharisees in matthew 23 is often seen out of context says reverend david Peleghi. jesus himself was close to the world of the pharisees following many of their customs he was an itinerant teacher raised up disciples, was obedient to Torah, believed in eternal life, and more. We forget or may not realize that this discourse was an internal Jewish debate and we should view his criticism in that light and not weaponize his words against the Jewish people. Instead, we should take his words as a warning and ask ourselves how we, as religious people, may be guilty of the same offenses or hypocrisy. We will begin with a reading from Micah 3, verses 5 through 12. Thus says
1: the Lord concerning the prophets, who make my people stray, who chant peace, while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore you shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Now hear this. You heads of the house of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with inequity, her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Our gospel for tonight comes from the gospel of Matthew chapter 23 reading verses 1 to 12 and please stand as we honor the king particularly as he teaches us through his word. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. And lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad. And enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts. And the best seats in the synagogues. Greetings in the marketplaces. And to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you... Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself, will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
3: Again, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father, we know your word is powerful. We ask that uh, it would come and help us to discern the way we live and the way we think. We ask that uh, you would apply your word to our hearts this evening so that we can live in a way that glorifies you and pleases you. We do ask this again for the sake of your son Jesus, our most precious gift that you gave to each one of us. Amen. Like to um, start not in um, Matthew twenty-three, but uh, back up just a tiny bit, Matthew twenty-two, where Jesus is asked, "What is the greatest commandment?" And uh, I think we all know how he answers. He says that uh, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul and your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is a good place to start before we go into Matthew 23, which seems to be very harsh uh, and bombastic. And uh, we should quote here the much misunderstood and sometimes misaligned St. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, the fifth century. And Augustine said that all of scripture was written in order to teach us what it means to love God and our neighbor and how we should love God and our neighbor. So hopefully it's in the context of love that we approach uh, the next chapter or this very, very strong critique, uh, strong perhaps in the tradition of the prophets that Jesus is going to make against uh, his fellow Jews, those who belong to the movement uh, of the Pharisees. Now why do we want to do this with love? Because unfortunately this, sadly, Tragically, this passage of scripture has been weaponized over the centuries. Uh, It has been used to uh, misrepresent or to um, harm the Jewish people. It especially has been used against Orthodox Jews. And uh, it has certainly been used as a way of mischaracterizing or even slandering (coughs) Judaism, and uh, consequently, it's been uh, these verses have been used to uh, distort uh, our relationship with the Jewish people, as and ultimately, like all anti-Semitism or anti-Judaism, it ends up distorting our understanding of uh, who God is. And part of the, I suppose, perhaps. Maybe the main reason that this has happened is that these verses have been taken out of context. Um, And so the context of this passage, the immediate context of this passage, and let's keep this in mind, is that first and foremost, we're listening to an internal, yes, family debate. We're listening to Jews speaking to Jews. This is certainly not uh, about Judaism versus Christianity. There's no such thing as Christianity when the book of Matthew uh, was compiled and edited and finally written. This is not about the church versus the synagogue. Yes, that, that uh, conflict didn't exist. And uh, this is not about Judaism versus Christianity. Or, uh, sorry, this is not about um, law versus grace. As we sometimes uh, read these passages. In fact, it's, it should be very telling that uh, the audience, Matthew's community, the people he's writing to, they're all Jewish believers in Jesus. He doesn't have to explain what phylacteries are or what tassels are, the to, tefillin to, to or the tzitzit. Uh, his community knows, knows these things, all right? There's no Certainly no need to explain. And there's another context, even a deeper context in all of this. And that deeper context uh, concerns uh, Jesus himself. I don't know if you've ever noticed that despite the, the, uh, the rhetoric or despite the uh, conflict that exists in the Gospels between Jesus and the Pharisees, he spends an awful lot of time eating with them and hanging out with them and talking to them. And he's got some obviously some, like someone like Joseph of Arimathea or even Nicodemus, he's got some friends who are are Pharisees. He, Jesus, believes is the same sort of ideological, theological framework as the Pharisees. Like the Pharisees, he believes uh, in all of, all scripture uh, has authority. Like the Sadducees, for example, who only believed that five books, the first five books, had any real authority. And he believes in the resurrection of the dead, again, like the Pharisees. Believes in rewards and punishment in the afterlife, like the Pharisees. Believes in angels and demons. Uh, Believes that the invisible world, or the world that we can't see, is just as real as the, the uh, material world or the seen world around us. Further, you know, sometimes these um, encounters between Jesus and the Pharisees, they're not all bad or they're not all negative. You may recall in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is told by the Pharisees, hey Jesus, you better get out of town because this Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great is after you and he is uh, dangerous. So here the Pharisee, there the Pharisees at least were warning Jesus trying to preserve his life. Now it gets slightly more complicated because when it comes to uh, the accounts of the death of Jesus, we don't, with the exception of John's gospel, and John, John really, uh, on, you might say in purpose, uh, uh, he uh, makes Sadducees and Pharisees out to be one entity or one group. But in the Synoptic Gospels, the Pharisees are almost totally absent from the story. Those that put Jesus on the cross, um, not only w- would that be the Roman authorities, but also the Sadducees. Twice in the book of Acts, twice in the book of Acts, the Pharisees come to the aid of the early church. Now, isn't that not, Isn't that strange? Jesus is supposed to be against the Pharisees, and yet they're helping the early believers. Once Gamaliel and another time when Paul is in front of the Sanhedrin. And finally, can I just remind you that when Paul says, you know, Paul says uh, on two occasions, I am a Pharisee. Now, Paul didn't say what we think he should have said. Uh, Let me give you my testimony, brothers. I was a Pharisee. I was all bound up in legalism. I was trying to please God by, you know, uh, fulfilling the law. But Jesus came and he set me free from all that. doesn't say that. Paul says, I am a Pharisee. I'm in this stream. I'm in this school. So when it comes to listening to Jesus, yes, or hearing his critique of this group of people, Let's keep in mind he's doing it as an insider. He's not an outsider. And that's the most effective critique, is it not? If you're going to critique or criticize, it should be done out of love. Yes, it should be done from the inside. And so that's the context in which we, we really do want to approach this and we want to Uh, to keep in mind. Jesus, the insider, critiquing, yes, uh, those in this movement. And um, it certainly is effective when it comes, for example, to the church. You know that we, we, as Christians, we have many critics. But there are some critics I don't respect or don't listen to very carefully or listen to more than once. But there are those who are within the church who love the body of the Messiah, who care passionately about its future, who may think we're going in the wrong direction or we're on the wrong course. And when that, when a critique comes from such people, and I'm certainly bound to, I'm certainly uh, more open to listening. And that's where I want to go with this evening with, with the passage that we read in Matthew 23. <coughs> Because the, the critique that Jesus has here, uh, virtually in the whole chapter, is not something we should assign to the past. It's not something we should say, oh, that happened a long time ago. It's not relevant for me now. But instead, we should apply these words to ourselves. Because in reality, in reality, we in the church Yes, we are the Pharisees, or at least we have the tendency, yes, to do, you know, what they did, and therefore we should listen very carefully to what Jesus has to say. And you can ask, well, wait a minute, <clears throat> I'm not a Pharisee, I'm not legalistic, I'm, uh, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, being a hypocrite or whatever. But let's, let, let's examine ourselves uh, using uh, the critique, using these verses, and let's ask, does anything fit? And if it does, let's be willing to repent. Now, I have to say that it's easy, easy, more than easy to criticize the church. And so before I begin, let me just point out that the world itself and secular society is also very pharisaical. It's also extremely hypocritical. And many of the uh, critiques or many of the points that we'll raise apply to, to, to the world itself, not simply to the church. There are lots of people who like to talk about the church as being hypocritical. But the hypocrisy runs deep. Yes, it's a human problem. It runs deep in politics and in entertainment and in business and in the academic world. But we are responsible, yes, as believers for for purifying ourselves. We're responsible for being holy. And so, what's the rub here? It goes, let's just bring out a few of these verses I've a few of these points in the first 12 verses and we'll even go, we'll extend beyond. So Jesus, first of all, he says, he says, look, do as the Pharisees say, but don't do as they do. So again, he's giving some uh, authority or some credibility to the Pharisees. And I should say, because many um, people in the Jewish roots movement, they use this verse 23, verse 3, to say, you see, Jesus is affirming or he's given authority it's to uh, rabbinic Judaism. And if rabbinic Judaism says that we should light candles on Shabbat in such a way or we should observe uh, a certain holiday uh, in another way, that this actually has authority in the life of the believer. And I'd like to point out to to those, to my friends who uh, insist on uh, using this as a justification um, for Maimonides or the Shulchan Aruch in the life of the, uh, and today's life of the follower of Jesus, that uh, there really isn't a connection between rabbinic Judaism and the Pharisees. And this I learned from my teachers at the Hebrew University. There is very little, if any, connection between uh, Orthodox Judaism today and the Pharisees. So we can certainly uh, put that argument aside. And so Jesus says about, he says to them, he says, well, first they give, uh, put heavy loads on people, yes, but they, uh, they, do, they, they themselves do. Are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. So their motivation, their, you might say, their purpose in being um, um, faithful to the scripture is wrong. They do the right thing for the wrong reason. Now, notice Jesus doesn't say that tithing is wrong. And he doesn't say that wearing of tefillin is wrong. Yes, meaning the, what we call phylacteries, the Greek word. Or to wear the tassel, the tzitzit, is wrong. It's not necessarily wrong. But he's saying that these uh, many of these Pharisees, they're doing this um, for the wrong reason. Next, he, said, he um, talks about, uh, in verse eight, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you only have one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have no father, and he is in, and he is in heaven. This is connected to the statement before that they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue, they love to be greeted in our marketplaces so that they have men call to them rabbi. Many people uh, have taken this to understand that uh, you shouldn't use the term teacher or you shouldn't use the term father. But if, you read through the, if we read through the New Testament, we read that, for example, that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.15, he says to the church at Corinth, you, have, uh, you don't have many fathers in Christ or if we read Acts chapter 7 or the book of Hebrews. um, So the early church obviously understood that uh, what Jesus was talking about here was not something literal. Instead, what Jesus, Jesus emphasizes, he says, you are all brothers. And Jesus is against, yes, this kind of narcissism or this kind of personality cult in which in his community or amongst his followers, you know, one person begins to think they're more important than another person. And one person thinks, ah, I've gone to seminary, you know, so I should be considered more important. I should be treated differently. I should be very special. Um, I should get extra benefits. I should get extra privileges. I think this is, uh, Jesus is absolutely against uh, this kind of uh, veneration of people. He says, we are all brothers. There should be no elitism in a community. Yes, there could. There should be no elitism in a community. And one person should not uh, be held higher than another. And neither should any of us say, well, I'm not gonna fellowship with them because they come from such an ethnic group, or they don't have the university education that I have. You know, there's a lot of uh, bitter criticism in our societies today today against elitism. And we should remember that Jesus addressed this problem 2,000 years ago. Then we have this, uh, let me go down uh, a little bit, Talking about uh, blind guides, that Jesus says that um, you, you know you the Pharisees you neglect. You're careful to tithe, and again, there's nothing wrong with tithing. You can't say I don't. I'm, I'm not going to tithe because it's legalistic. No, tithing is a good thing. Being generous is a good thing, but. The critique that Jesus has is not against generosity. He has, the critique is against, is that we can very easily major on minors. We can begin to take what's unimportant or what's perhaps small and make it uh, extremely important. And Jesus says, you know, in the, your, the life, your spiritual life of, uh, of the Pharisees, you have um, forgotten justice mercy, and faithfulness. Yes, you've forgotten those things that are bigger and certainly, uh, and certainly more important. And then, of course, Jesus goes on to, ta- to talk about, yes, an inner purity. And again, here, why do I say that we are the Pharisees? Because so often it's very easy for us as Christians to tick off a list, and we can say, you know, I'm not committing adultery. And praise the Lord if you're not, for those who do not commit adultery. I am not um, uh, watching, looking at porn. I am not bank robbing. I'm not committing murder. I stopped smoking. I used to, uh, you know, abuse alcohol. I don't drink anymore. I'm Okay. And oftentimes, the Lord does work on us, and he changes us, and he transforms us. But uh, then when it comes to issues such as pride, or when it comes to issues as perhaps being stingy, or refusing to forgive, or refusing to extend mercy, yeah, those are the things that we have a hard time with. And we often say to ourselves, they're not very important or they're very small, or I'll get around to working on that one day. And what Jesus teaches in other parts of the scripture and, uh, and other gospel passages, that these small hidden sins, these things that sometimes that we keep from within or keep, keep within ourselves, can end up being very dangerous. They can hurt us, and they end up hurting other people. And uh, as we spoke in the... Uh, and uh, the uh, church here a few weeks before, they end up um, affecting and hampering our relationship with God. And Jesus connects, yes, our inability to forgive with, yes. He, he says that, well, if, if, you, if we can't forgive, maybe God can't, won't forgive you. Or if we're not generous, how is it possible that God's going to be generous with us? or if we are harsh in our judgment then god himself you know will ensure that the, the same judgment that we give out is the same measure the same standard that uh, is used against us and then we have <coughs> we have <coughs> uh, the um, Again, Jesus talking about these Pharisees as whitewashed tombs. Yes, these are tombs. Uh, they're, they're white on the inside, but they're, again, they're full of dead bones. And uh, I think this should, certainly should speak to us or remind us that there has to be an inner purity and an inner holiness. We need to do the right thing for the right reason. And what, what, would, be for, what would be the right reason I think first and foremost, yes, uh, our motivation should be that we love God and that we love other people. And I think that that is the challenge. Remember, the scripture is given. The scripture is written to teach us, you know, what it means to love God and our neighbor, yes, and how we should do it. Now, of course, we may not... We may not have arrived at that place. And this is when we call upon the help of the Holy Spirit. I think secondly, we need to beware of a certain kind of narcissism uh, and and, uh, doing things, doing the right thing, hoping that other people are going to see us and look at us, that they're going to approve of us, they're going to acknowledge us, they're going to affirm us, instead of looking to God to do that very thing. God does want to reward us, but uh, God is the one who wants to do the rewarding. As we learned in Matthew chapter six, if we allow uh, human beings to uh, affirm us or to appreciate us, uh, then actually we have our reward. And I think very often that uh, we um, lack faith. We don't really have enough confidence to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. We're not sh- really sure that's 100% true. We might think it's 50% true or 60% true, but then we think I better make sure that everybody looks at me and acknowledges you know, somehow what I'm doing. I want to uh, improve my social standing in the community or I want to be popular. And so, therefore, I'm going to do the, r- the right thing for the wrong reason. And by the way, this narcissism, again, I'd like to just point out this narcissism is not j- only in the church. I mean, many people will say, oh, the, the Christians, you're just hypocrites, you're just hypocrites, you're just hypocrites. Usually those people live in the world where the hypocrisy is worse, much worse. We're not perfect, but we often acknowledge our weaknesses and our faults. That's to our credit. Just look at social media and Facebook and selfies and Twitter. Yes, it's all about self-indulgence. It's all, look at me, look at me, look at me. And so much of it is fake uh, because it doesn't point to the real you or the real me, it points to some, uh, some image that we, <clears throat> some false image that we create for ourselves. And so we need to make sure that we're not being influenced either by the brokenness within us or the culture of the world. God will reward us. God will raise us up if we humble ourselves or willing to humble ourselves. You know, God will do the rest. Finally, just let me just, in the last um, point, to talk about um, this um, so-called hypocrisy. All of us are inconsistent. I think to be human is to be inconsistent. And we sometimes say things and believe things, yes, and we don't always follow through. And I believe that uh, amongst us in the body of the Messiah, we need to be merciful with each other. What's not really, what shouldn't be allowed is that when we stand on a soapbox or we thunder from the pulpit, don't do this or don't do that, Yes, and we condemn other people and yet, at the same time, we don't do it ourselves. Yes, that's the kind of inconsistency that we need to, um, or the kind of hypocrisy that we need to be, um, to be aware of. So we need to, uh, let's be practical, we need to examine ourselves. Because it is, we have the tendency as, as, as believers, as the community, as the church, to become or to be pharisaical or to act in a pharisaical uh, manner. When we examine ourselves, it should not be excessive and we should not spend huge amounts of time you know, looking into, uh, uh, looking into our, our motivations and our actions. In fact, we should ask the Holy Spirit to come and show us yes where we may be inconsistent, where we don't practice what we preach, uh, and to strengthen us and enable us, yes, to, to have a certain inner purity or certain holiness. Holiness isn't something uh, for, uh, something that's shown on uh, the outside. We also need to remember that uh, our motivation in all these things should be love. Yes, love for each other. And uh, even love for those who we think might be acting in a pharisaical way. We need to, sh- to be merciful. And uh, if we go to a brother, we need to remember the words of Galatians chapter six. Uh, in, that, uh, in Galatians six, Paul says, if we see each other in a fault, what does it say? Anyone remember if we see someone sinning yeah, Galatians chapter 6, do it in a gentle way. Don't shoot the wounded, yes, which we have a tendency to do. There are a lot of people, you know, who they, again, it's, uh, it's kind of pharisaical, they have all the right doctrine. They believe all the right things, and they'll use scripture and doctrine and teaching as a way of beating up on people. Uh, And it comes across hateful and full of arrogance. That should not be our way. And I am in no way condoning bad teaching or false doctrine. But the way we respond to it uh, is is certainly the issue. Now you may say, well, all of these things are hard and difficult, and sometimes they are. But I'd like to remind you, brothers and sisters, that we do have the help, the power of the Holy Spirit, that God uh, gives us his spirit to empower us. And I would like to leave us with the following verses from Ezekiel 36 and verses 24. 24 and following. God says to Israel, and let's be very clear that this promise which is first given to Israel is then given to the Gentiles. So, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all purities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees, to be careful to keep my laws. This says the Lord. So Father in heaven, we pray that as we ask your Holy Spirit to come and examine ourselves, We ask the Lord that um, where we're inconsistent and where we do things not out of love, where we do things in order to uh, call attention to ourselves or to gain popularity, Lord, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit will examine these things and bring them to the light so that we can be holy just as you are holy, so that uh, we can bring glory and honor to you And we ask that uh, we as a community will not uh, bring desecration to your name. And we ask these things for the sake of Jesus the Messiah. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.